Well, we are in election season, and uh, I will ask you, while Joyce and I are, have become fans of early voting, if you haven't voted Tuesday, please do your civic duty and vote. And I would also uh, raise that up to fulfill your Christian responsibility. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14.34 that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And so go armed with uh, your biblical perspective and worldview. And to the best of your ability, where candidates and issues line up, I encourage you to vote accordingly. And uh, with that having been said, um, I kind of address today's message, because today's message is going a different direction than we had originally planned. We were going to do a two-week mini-series called Talking to God. And while we're still going to talk about talking to God, I want to add a byline to talk about talk to God about things different than you might be used to talking to him about. And it somewhat relates to being in an election season. As many of you know, the plans were that I would be handing off my role as lead pastor this past summer to someone new. And I have told people who are close to me one thing that uh, is good about me retiring when I thought I was is I won't have to lead through another election season. <laughs> Here we are. Did you ever have plans not work out the way you thought? And so here, here we are. And to put that into context and to set up today's message, let me go back to 2020, which was not a desirable year from my perspective. First of all, in 2020, we had something happen called a pandemic. Many of us had to look that word up, weren't real familiar with it. It's a, basically a, an epidemic on steroids, and it went around the world, and every nation was impacted by the pandemic. Uh, handled it in lots of different ways, and all of us have strong opinions about how pandemics should go. Save that for the next one. I'm sure there'll be one. The church, Big C, handled it in various ways. Uh, some churches, literally, the pandemic put them out of business, so to speak. Uh, some churches kind of struggled through. Some did well and thrived. Christian Life Center, our church, we did okay. Uh, there, in my, in my undergrad degree and in my two uh, graduate degrees, there was never a class called Pandemics 101. And so we did the best we could as a leadership team and as a board. And uh, there are some former CLCers who didn't care for how we managed it. That's the way it is. Uh, we closed down for a couple of months, and then when we opened, we had every other row seating. We asked people to wear a mask for a time. We had hand sanitizer throughout the building. And man, don't you wish in 2019 you bought hand sanitizer stock? <laughs> ah. And so uh, here we are. There was uh, a huge, painful set of issues and season about race in our nation that really, I think George Floyd's horrific death was probably a focal point of that. Things have been brewing before that and since. And along with that, there was a, a wave of violence that 
was initially tied to that, but has really an increase in lawlessness and violence has sort of taken a life of its own in our culture. And then there was a third factor that I will call SR 2.0. And to give a little perspective on that, I, when I was, a, I was a kid in the 60s, the hippie movement wasn't old enough to be part of it, not that I would have, but uh, along with the British invasion of rock music and all of that and Woodstock and whatnot, there was a phrase that was coined called free love. And uh, sociologists looking back have coined it the sexual revolution, SR, if you will. And it was a time when our culture wholesale began to separate a biblical norm from societal behavior. Up until that time, for the most part, people, secular and religious, accepted the value that sex was something that was supposed to be reserved for the confines of marriage. There was a little rhyme. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes whoever in the baby carriage, all right? And the sexual revolution said, no, 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 we can forget those uh, Victorian attitudes about sex. You can have sex whenever you want it. And so free love and the one night stand was born and then some. And horrendous uh, untold pain has happened as a result of that. And it doesn't surprise us that less than a decade later, abortion was uh, uh, protected by law. And uh, we've been paying dues for that ever since. Uh, sexual Revolution 2.0, I believe, uh, was unleashed because there are a bunch of letters, LGBTQ community, uh, basically now saying that what the Bible holds as sexual morality is not morality at all, and if you try to espouse it, teach it, impose it, you're the one who's immoral. And so a same-sex attraction agenda uh, and loads of things that go with it that uh, I don't even think were concepts when I started in ministry years ago. Something spiritual has happened when it comes to sexuality. It's like floodgates have been opened. And, and lawlessness and whatnot across our nation, across the world. And all of those things were united together, sarcasm intended, by elections and politics. And I think I forgot to mention, I'm going to ask that this be an applause-free sermon. Because uh, in a sermon like this, when people applaud, it tends to alienate rather than unite. So you can applaud quietly inside. Likewise, I'll ask you to walk out in disgust in your mind, not in reality, okay? So if you disagree either way or agree, just keep it to yourself. Let's keep it a, a, key, a secret so we can all hear and, and whatever. So elections and politics, it was a very divisive 2020 so I don't think you'll blame me for saying I, I'll look forward to retiring from this kind of a seat. And then add to that, uh, for the Tharp household, that my wife Joyce came down with cancer. And I still remember the doctor after the fact saying when she was rushed to the ER and ICU on the 4th of July weekend that I thought you were, 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 you were going to die. Um, just a horrific mess. And... I am not fond of this year, and the more I can stay in the rearview mirror of life, I'm in favor of that. And uh, 
things don't always go as planned, so I'm here, and it's an election season, and some of you might be saying, yeah, but the election is Tuesday. Why bother? Just let it slide. Well, there's another one coming two years from now, and, it, and, and the clamor is going to start as soon as Tuesday's done. But something happened in my work week Monday this past week that I realized I had to pivot and change where we were going and deal with this. So to bring you inside my, my everyday world, Monday morning I got a text early from uh, Ryan Munger, who is our children's team leader. He and his team do a great job. If you see them, appreciate them, commend them, give them a gift card, whatever. Tell them you're praying for them. He said, I need to talk to you as soon as you can. So he was my first work conversation, and he referenced for me what I knew, that on October 19th, uh, as a team, they hosted a seminar in the gym with about 100 parents and concerned parties. It was titled, Gender Slash Sexuality and the Church, Raising Gender Healthy Kids and Teens in a Gender Confused World. He shared with me that uh, you need to know, you know, the staff knows one thing about me. I don't care for surprises, uh, especially of a contentious nature. I'd rather know ahead of time. So you need to know, I'm getting a lot of emails and phone calls and whatnot. People are unhappy. And uh, one person in particular who, if I remember right, wasn't there for the presentation, but they heard. You ever play the game Telephone? Okay. And he said that the person said that, well, I hear that CLC is now pro-transgender, and so if that's the case, we're out of here. I was a cross between livid and dumbfounded when I heard that, and I said, how can a person who has heard me preach on sexuality come to that conclusion? And there were emails citing several people concerned and whatnot, and I realized this can be a confusing and divisive issue. And the next gap in sermons where I had some flexibility wasn't until after the first of the year. I said, we can't wait two months to let this fester. So I need to jump in now. And so uh, here we are. I looked at Ryan's presentation. Ryan, Ryan is what I would call a manuscript speaker. My favorite speakers happen to be manuscript speakers. They, they literally type up what they preach and they are able to use a skill set I don't have and preach from that. Um, I'm a, I don't know what you call this speaker. <laughs> now, this isn't normal. Normally, I reduce all my remarks to one page of notes, but this is a special sermon. But that's what I am kind of speaker, right? What I read is remarks, quote, but the important thing to understand is that as Christians, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, there is a clear fall of, of mankind with Adam and Eve where things went awry afterwards. And it is because of the fall that we live in a fallen and broken world and because we live in a fallen world, kids and students are facing a broken world and experiencing the complex results of sin within our social and family lives. I would say a hearty amen to that. He went on to say later in the talk, when we see people who are living this lifestyle, and he's talking about homosexuality, transgender, the first response shouldn't be to shudder in disgust, but to give compassion and kindness. Kindness. 
This doesn't mean we don't stand on the truth of what we believe to be true, but we must always treat people with grace and teach our children to do the same. It's one of the things about, that I love about CLC and Pastor Stan. We have never been afraid to speak biblical truth, but we've always made sure it was spoken in love. The sin that you and I struggle with uh, is the same nature of sin that someone else struggles with in a different way with their sexual identity that Jesus came to die for. And I commended Ryan. I, I knew Ryan was talking about this and addressing it. I, we talked ahead of time. What are you going to cover? What's your subject? It's very difficult to discuss it and to teach on it. And I commended him for it. I thanked him for having the courage uh, to do so. Uh, he's the only children's team leader that has done it uh, in that way. And I really was thankful for that because now more than ever, we need to speak to that. Let me say that we have, uh, we, I believe, put our, we put our square footage where our mouth is. If you look at how much of our facility is dedicated to kids and youth, we put our budget money where our mouth is. And we are very dedicated to raising children. In fact, I take a lot of prayer walks around the, the property. And last week I was just taking a prayer walk and I stopped and I looked. And I, I, again, I saw the, the, the kids' space. I said, God, thanks for all the kids, thousands of kids who've been discipled here. Our desire is that the children will grow up to, to love God, to know God, to be his people, to value others and change their world. And we want to raise your children in a, in a spiritually healthy environment, in a safe environment, uh, that they can become all they can in Christ. Joyce and I were talking this past week, just coincidentally saying, man, if, you know, I would, it would be very difficult to be a parent nowadays. And I've, I think while we were not big homeschool fans just because we're not homeschool parents, I think we'd be tempted to homeschool just because of all the, the junk that's out there. So kudos to those parents that are doing that. So with that said, let me do a quick review in the kinds of things that you have heard me teach. I was especially thrown by people who've been here a long time saying, well, a CLC is at this place we're leaving. I'm like, have you not heard what I've said? And so if I could subtitle this series th this week and next, it is talking to God, but I'm going to kind of pull rank and insert a little privilege and request. Talking to God about things I have to talk to him about. I'm, you, hopefully you, you obviously pray about your job. I want you to pray about my job because I'm doing my job and learning as I go. And many things, most of what I'm talking about today wasn't even an issue when I started full-time ministry in 1979. And just for grins, how many of you weren't even alive in 79? Let me see your hand. Yeah, make me feel old. All right. Um, and so I want you to pray about things. You don't, you don't normally pray about these things. But if you do, it'll at least help you have a sense of sensitivity uh, and, and on the same pageness of those of us who are trying to lead a very diverse and large congregation in the ways of truth. I make no bones about it, and I often quote Genesis 1.27, in that God said, God made man in his own image, male and female created he them, the Bible says, and I have said repeatedly that your maleness and femaleness is a direct reflection of what theologians call the image of God, the Imago Dei. And if your sexuality is part of the image of God, and we're, it's a mystery to us, we can't fully explain it, but if that's the case, I have also said that Satan hates everything that God has made, including you. And he has an agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. He has tried to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has intended throughout history. He created marriage. You look at that later in the chapter. And he has tried to destroy marriage and family ever since. And he is having a heyday trying to destroy your identity sexually 
and it only makes sense if your maleness or femaleness is, is part of the image of God, then Satan says, how can we create confusion there, make it a source of pain, a source of regret, a source of turmoil? How can we impact that? And I have said that repeatedly, time and again. I believe that our genderness has a bullseye on it and the powers of hell try to destroy that. When I've talked about those that are battling homosexuality and same-sex attraction, how many of you know that temptation is not sin? Can you say amen? Okay, 30 of us know that. <laughs> to be tempted, go to James chapter 1, to be tempted is not a sin. To then lustfully entertain that, you can sin up here, right? Jesus made that clear. But to have the quick thought, whoa, check her out, that's not the sin. The sin is when you go, whoa, check her out, don't mind if I do, and then mentally you do things with them that you should not be doing. Jesus said, when you look after someone to lust after them, you've committed sin in your heart, adultery in your heart. Temptation, whoa, look at her, okay, don't look long, boom, get off of that, all right. To flee from temptation here is not a sin. So let me re-ask the question. If you're alive and breathing, Say amen. How many of you know that temptation is not a sin? Amen. All right. And so when it comes to sexual sin, acting out that sin is what's wrong. And I've talked to enough people who are dealing with same-sex attraction that our culture would call gay, although a friend of mine who uh, was here for many years until he passed away said, whatever you do, don't call it gay because it's not. His story is like many people that I've talked to. He grew up in the church, a really good church, and discovered something about his feelings that he didn't want to discover that he had, couldn't get away from it, couldn't talk himself out of it, couldn't change it, prayed, asked God, went to youth group, went to camp, went to everything, and, and God didn't take it from him. And so he decided, he brought it to the brink of suicide, and decided, okay, I didn't succeed at that, so I guess that's who I am. And our culture says, you absolutely are. Come on in. In a very welcoming community until he got to that place of despair and realized, no, this isn't the answer, and he came to Christ. And so I tell people who are struggling with that, it doesn't make sense to tell them, well, just don't feel that way. So every person who's heterosexual here, and you know what it's like to have sexual feelings, what, what would it do for you if somebody said, well, just don't feel that? Just don't feel it. Just don't think it. Oh, okay. I will tell them, well, you know what? You honor God in that. It's just like the single person who wants to have sex with someone they're not married to, well, that's a sin too. Want to do these sexual feelings. Well, man's a temptation. Live a celibate life. Do that in the context of supportive Christian relationships who can support you in that and say no to the temptation and honor God. I say the same thing to the person dealing with same-sex attraction. Manage the temptation and, and say no to that and live a victorious, fulfilling life in the context of supportive Christian community. Acting it out is the sin. To those who uh, are married and you act out sexual activity with someone you're not married to, that's called adultery. That's a sin. So you fight that temptation. To those who are married and, and you're into porn, Jesus made it clear you can have an affair in your mind. That's a sin. If you're not married, pornography is a sin. Having sex with someone before you're married is a sin. 
Notice how awkward the room is getting. Studies sadly say those immoral shoes fit lots of Christians in this room. But it's possible to live a celibate, God-honoring life in the context of supporting Christian community. You know, Wednesday night, Pastor Shane prayed for and celebrated our, our ministry on Monday night, Celebrate Recovery. It's for people who have hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Man, if there's, if there's an addiction, if there's a bondage, whatever, in your life, whether it's of a sexual nature, whether it's a substance addiction, whether it's emotional in nature, relational in nature, you come to that, and people are, are getting free from those and finding victory in that. And, and the key is they come, they see it from a biblical perspective, and they have Christian community, and people are bearing each other's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ, and helping people have victory and be free from that. It's the relationships along with the truth that make a difference. And the word church is the Greek word ecclesia. I don't know what you think of when you think church. It's not about a building. It's not about the decor, whatever. Church means gathered together. So church is people, like-minded, like heart, like spirit, that are gathered together to worship God and to grow together and to do life together and help each other become who we can be in Christ, to bear each other's burdens, to confess our sins to one another, that we might be healed, that we grow together. And we, are, we often call ourselves a hospital for people who are broken by sin. So when you're talking about a transgender situation, does that change everything? I remember when I spoke to someone, I, I did a sermon series a while back, and the, one of the sermons was, What Would Jesus Say to Caitlyn Jenner? And after the service, I've referenced it before, a person who was transgender wanted to see me in the VIP room, so I went there and, and with tears streaming down their face, they said, well, first of all, thank you for not being hateful in your sermon, because they're used to that. And uh, they proceeded to tell me their story. Grew up in a church, really good church in town. You'd know it if I said it. And I went through Sunday school, and I was in youth group, and I had these feelings I couldn't get around, get over, and I prayed, and God didn't help me with it. And finally, in their early 30s, made a decision by their mid-30s to transition, and now in their late 30s, they said I was miserable before I made this change, and I am miserable now that I have made this change. My heart broke for them, and I thought, isn't that just like Satan? The pleasures of sin are for a season. Amen? You've had them. I've had them. It feels good or it does something for you, whether it's for a moment, an hour, a day, a week, a month, months, whatever. But sooner or later, Satan will love to have you bite the apple and enjoy the taste. But sooner or later, he is going to steal, kill, and destroy you too. And I thought this poor person has gone down an irreversible road and he has them right where he wants them, miserable and in despair. How is the church to respond to these people? And what really angers me, we talk about follow the science, follow the science, and in this area here, we've thrown science out because now our culture, I keep remembering the Romans chapter 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. 
Because psychiatrists and psychologists, people who study the physiology of the mind, will tell you that we do not even have the intellectual capacity to think in abstract terms. That doesn't fully mature until late adolescence. So think 15 to 18-year-olds, when you can finally grasp abstract concepts. And so we're going to now tell a five-year-old when you, they can't even understand the concept of death, much less gender. We're going to tell a five-year-old, well, if you don't feel like you're a boy or a girl, then you can not be what you were born as. Or a second grader or a third grader, when they can't even fully comprehend the decision they're making till late adolescence. We're denying the science of that. We're denying what the studies are showing, the suicide rates of people who are who, who go the transgender route is, is ridiculously high. And most children, if left alone, will, will morph out of that and resort back to their original gender of birth, mentally and emotionally, without any intervention. Here's a question for the church. Here's a question that you probably don't have to ask yourself in what you do, but ask yourself in where you go. What are we going to do as a church and what is our response going to be somewhere down the line when people, when a generation has bought into this manifold lie of multiple dimensions? What will we do with people who said, you know what, I was assigned a gender. No, God gave you that gender. It, male and female created he them in your mother's womb. He gave you that. You can't decide it. But we believed a lie that said, no, you can change that. What are we going to do with, I believe, there'll be loads of people who go that route and sooner or later they will realize they bought Satan's lie and I am empty and I am in despair and I need a Savior to save me from myself. What will we do about that? Will we even be a place that they look to or come to? And then how do you counsel that person? How many of you were a sinner before you came to Christ? Trick question, raise your hand. Last I checked, when you come to Christ, I'm glad he doesn't say, okay, now, before I forgive you, I want you to undo everything you did that was wrong. It's usually, okay, let's start here. Let's repent. Now what? All I can tell you is that in 1979, when I began my career in ministry, none of this was a conversation. How will we lead people to Christ and to a biblically-based, God-honoring lifestyle after the mess that has been unleashed on us as a society? As I said, talking to God about things I have to talk to him about, pray that we have wisdom in that. And, you know, when you do your piet forward, we have to be careful as a hospital for people who are ravaged by sin. It's not we're a hospital for people who are ravaged by sin like mine. And I target people with piet forward that I know have a lifestyle, at least some, that are in this category because I hope they come to church and people love them to transformation. I had a, a conversation with a young lady this past week who just wanted to come and tell me her story. We, we, we cross paths a lot and, and I just want to tell you my story. She's in her early 20s and 
And by the time she got done unpacking her life, it was so painful and so devastated and so trash you as a human being with, with all the, the things that happened in her life. And then she said, and, and then I came to Christian Life Center. And she named a couple by name. I was hoping I'd say, I saw them last service before services. I'm not going to say your name. But she said of you, I said, I came to Christian Life Center and this couple loved me to Jesus. I became a Christian because of the way they loved me. I thought, yes. I don't know how we get there. I don't know how we walk through this mind, minefield of immorality and ungodliness and danger, but also be salt and light to a dying world. We, we pray. We need wisdom. How do we protect and disciple our children at the same time? How do we reach out to a, to a, to a world in need? Because some of those people that are getting a pie that might check out that church are going to be all messed up and they might even have a a son or daughter who's confused, thinking maybe I should change what I am. Or they might be confused. How do we be Christ to them? Pray for wisdom in that. At the same time, how do we be a place that is safe for our kids? And uh, let's move on to another easy topic. Let's talk about politics. This series, two weeks, is talking to God about things I have to talk to him about. So I would ask you to enter my world and pray. I have uh, a letter from, I'm not sure why I, why I brought it with me, but I have a letter from someone who left the church over the voter guides that are in the lobby, and they said they, are, and they support CLC, very bought in, and they said, I'm not coming back until the new pastor's here provided he leaves politics out of the church. And I understand that ish. I've had other people say, man, I'm so glad that their voter guide's available and whatever. I, I got them because I did want to see where some candidates stand on the issue. Uh, it says it's nonpartisan. It's, non, it's nonpartisan-ish. It asks questions that skew toward one party. I will grant that. And we have to be careful as Christians because we tend to take things that are political, and not all of them are biblical. And we also tend to take Scripture and interpret it our way and then assume that we're right. I could argue you, and I think one of the questions in there is about capital punishment. I could argue capital punishment either way depending on Old Testament or New Testament approach. So let's be careful how dogmatic we are on our view. Second Amendment, I, I have a shotgun and a couple of 22s I haven't used in a couple of years. I use them for target practice. I don't hunt. My wife is a, a great animal lover and she made me promise never to shoot anything that blinks. <laughs> Pity the deer with an eyelid problem. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't hunt. I'm not a hunter. But I, I could make a fairly compelling argument against most of the Second Amendment. I'll let that simmer. I don't know that the word filibuster is in the Bible. That's an issue. And when it comes to refugees and what we call illegal aliens, wow. People who follow Jesus are all over the spectrum on the right response to that. 
You go to the Old Testament, and while we should have a law-abiding society, it talks a lot about compassion for the foreigner. And this is where you walk out in your mind. So we have to be really careful because as Christians, our culture, have you noticed our culture is very polarizing and increasingly angry and vocal and wants to shut you down and shut you up? We have to be very careful in the body of Christ, in the ecclesia, as we gather together to do so with grace and to learn to reason together and listen together. And I had a great conversation with a person on the key politics out of the church perspective, and I, I made the statement, then, I, then the second one I made, I jotted down, I hadn't put it that way before. I said, I agree, you can't legislate morality. And you can't. You can make something a law and people will break it anyway. Let's illustrate that. How many of you broke the speed limit coming to church? I did. I was 35. I'm sure I went 38. You can't. You can't legislate morality. And I agree. But at the same time, then I, then I said, but there are those among us, and there are even evil agendas among us, that want to extinguish and make illegal the principles of this book, the practices of this book. There are those among us that want to silence the voices, beliefs, education, and parenting of people that are trying to raise their kids according to this. I am on uh, uh, email blasts and whatnot, blogs of, of legal organizations, and there are lawsuits all the time being fought uh, at different levels of, of the appeals process and to the Supreme Court trying to defend your right and mine to do what we're doing right now, defending the right of Christians to, to, to pray, uh, to have the primary role in the lives of their children and what their children believe. And so should the church be apolitical and say and influence nothing? If so, I have missionaries in countries where there is no civic freedom and they're like, you are losing your freedoms and you're losing them to ungodly forces that will stifle you. Be careful and wake up. An example, I saw a uh, flyer from an organization that wants to oppose what's called Shays Resolution and I contacted Charlotte McGuire who's in town. She's on the state school board. I think she's the head of it. This is a workshop to teach people how to testify on behalf of the LGBTQ agenda to make sure that Shay's resolution doesn't get adopted. It's up there just to give an example. You can take it off. Shay's resolution basically wants to put sex education in the hands of parents. Doesn't want schools to say, well, if your child's having gender identification issues, mom and dad, that's none of your business. We'll handle that. Shay's resolution is trying to, to deal with that. I believe parents should be in, in, involved in that and dealing with that and guiding and protecting their children from that. So if we do nothing and we sit back passively because the church is not supposed to be political and I'm not totally, pray for me, that's another thing to pray about because I don't fully believe that. What is the church's role? Because at the same time, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make Democrats. No, I'm sorry, Republicans. No, he didn't say that either, did he? He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're on that mission, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. At the same time, though, here's the problem. No one in this book elected 
their leaders or influence their laws. They were all kings and governors and rulers of empires, and the way they got their position was they inherited it or they killed off the previous guy and they took it. So the whole political process we have, there's no precedent for it, and so it's not clear what should we do, but I would say that our, evangel our, our pol politics cannot be louder than our evangelism. And if your politics is extinguishing your evangelistic potential, reconsider how you do your politics. At the same time, I'm not saying we do nothing because I, I felt hypocritical if, if I'd stay in that when I, I quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you haven't read The Cost of Discipleship, read it. It's a great book. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazis because he was exposed in a plan to assassinate Hitler. That's politically involved. So pray for me. Pray for us. I don't know if you think about that that much. What should the church do? Opinions are real easy to have. Have you noticed? And they're even easier to have if I live in an opinion echo chamber where everybody around me has the same opinion I do. And they think the same and they agree the same and they feel the same and they speak the same and they vote the same and so I just... No. How do we as the body of Christ wrestle with this and come up with truth and make a difference? And then on issues of race, this is going to spread over two weeks. So uh, I've been preaching on race for 32 years and there is one race the human race we can all trace our ancestry.com in fact what i'm going to give you is better than ancestry.com they can't go this far you go back far enough i know who is your family tree his name is noah he has three sons shem ham and japheth Ham settled down into Africa and became the genetic forefather of darker-skinned people. Shem settled across the Middle East and into Asia, became the forefather of sort of moderate-toned skinned people. And Japheth went up to Europe, the genetic forefather of lighter-skinned people. And if you question that, go ahead and do your, your, your DNA and realize that our visible differences in this room, in skin color and all that, is like less than a tenth of a percent. One race, human race. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. And so it has been a problem for us ever since and I believe that we are more divided and unreconciled in the recent years than less. And yet the Bible says to us as Christians we are given the ministry of reconciliation. So what role does the church play in that? And sensitivities are at an all-time high and so Pray with us. We'll, we'll dig deeper into that next week. But what is our biblical heart and actions for questions and issues regarding race and biblical reconciliation? Not as society does. Society is making a mess of it. How do we be a reconciling place? And let me remind you that I preached a couple years ago a sermon series on identity theft, and Satan has a strategy. There's four Ds to it. He tries to deceive, divide, distract, and discourage. He's trying to do that in all these areas. And we lack wisdom, but the Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask, and God will give it. So ask for wisdom, because I believe between now and 2024, it's going to get 
ridiculous. And if we can be salt and light, I'd love people to say, how do you maintain your biblical standards and be so influential, and yet you are so loving and so kind, and you have such peace and harmony? That will stand out. So what did Jesus say? Let's just jump, let's jump back biblically with the few minutes we have left, and let's look at God's perspective and Jesus' mission on earth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. What's his promise? To return, to bring all this to an end. I don't know about you, I have said this week, man, I wish the Lord would come back and be done with all this mess. What? Back up, I didn't finish the verse. Not as slow as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do you realize every person represented on that marker pad, he doesn't want any of us going to hell. Not a one. And boy, left to ourselves, we are straight away there. So what happens? Well, Jesus said in Luke 19.10 of himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You've got to realize it's my Father's will that no one perish, so I have come to this plant to seek and save the lost. He says in another place, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And in Matthew 11.28 and 29, he issues this compelling invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And boy, if you are weary from from the, the, the dues you pay with sin. Isn't that inviting? To give you rest? Give you healing and salvation for your soul? Time out. And how many of you know that Jesus didn't finish his mission? Right? Raise your hand. He didn't finish it. Everybody on the planet didn't come to Christ. Lots of people still lost. So if he didn't finish it, who did he hand it off to? Say us. Some of his last words, Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore in all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You stay on that mission, I will never leave you, never forsake you. And he gave some advice that's not on the screen, but he drew an analogy, told a parable. And our role is kind of like getting people to a big wedding celebration. And he says, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And when you go out into the highways and byways of Dayton, there's a whole lot of sin-filled, sin-ravaged, messed up, broken, hurting people. And Jesus says, them. They're the ones. You know, the person you work with, the person you live by, the, the person that's on that sports league, the, them. Compel them to come in. And so Jesus prayed for us because he knows that our calling is no small task. When he prayed to his heavenly father, what's called the high priestly prayer, he says to the father, I have given them your word, talking about his followers, us. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Have you noticed that there is an increasing hatred toward things Christian and things biblical? Expect that to do nothing but continue unless there's a huge revival. John, who wrote that gospel, also wrote the letter at the end of the, the New Testament, and he called it the spirit of Antichrist. 
There's an anti-Christian bias in the world that is only going to continue. Jesus knew that. And so he says in verse 15, I'm not happy with this. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Wouldn't it be cool if you prayed your prayer, accept Christ, and boom, you just went to heaven? I don't want you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. No, I want out of here. No, I'm going to send you into it because there are people who are lost. I want you to reach them. And that goes against the grain of some. And in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, Paul addresses a misunderstanding in the church. And he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And some Christians want to just isolate and pull into a bubble. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. And Jesus didn't say go out of the world. No, Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world. Don't associate with Christians who want to tell you all this stuff is okay, but lost people, they're, of course they're going to say all this is okay. Those immoral people, associate with them so they will see your good deeds, your light will shine, and they'll glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's not easy. But Jesus promised to give you the power to pull it off. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a slightly familiar verse at Christian Life Center, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Sin hasn't really changed all that much over the centuries, and it is still deadly. I was talking to somebody who's in the class on Ezekiel. They said, you know what? I, I kind of freak out about our culture and where it's at, how ungodly it is until I realized, boy, back in Bible times, it was also extremely messed up and extremely horrible. It absolutely was. And we're the ones with hope. As messed up as our world is, there's some parallels to how messed up our world was then as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Look at what Paul says. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Unrighteous people who live unrighteous ways, if they don't repent, that sin will keep them separated from God and they will go to hell. Don't you know that? Before I read the next verse, I'm just going to reference but not put on the screen. He also says this in the book in Galatians and he lists things like these that will keep you from the kingdom of God. And in his list there, sorcery, Fascination with the occult. Strife, which is conflict and antagonism. Outburst of anger. Dissension, which is quarreling disagreements. Division, he says, and things like these, if people practice them, it'll keep them out of the kingdom of God. Let's go to his list in 1 Corinthians. So, they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's the word porneia. So, if, if porn is part of your lifestyle, Studies show for a disappointing percentage it has been this week in this room. Unrepentant porn. Sex outside of marriage. Idolaters, people who make money or sports or recreation or stuff or popularity their idol. The problem with idolatry nowadays is that you can have it and you don't just, it's not as easy as looking at an idol. But look at your time. Look at your passions. Look at how you spend your money and your energy. It'll tell you what you worship. Idolaters. 
adulterers. That's people who are having an affair with someone they're not married with, and you could even have that affair, Jesus said, in your mind. Uh, effeminate, and the closest that you can get from that word, it appear to be people that are like into the cross-dressing realm of life, drag kinds of things. Homosexuals, people who are living and giving into a same-sex attraction lifestyle. Thieves, notice, we're putting all these things on the same level here. People who steal. People who are covetous. If you just can't stand what they have, and oh, you're going to get it. Uh, you're covetous and you know it. That's a sin that leads you straight to hell, Paul says. Addicted to alcohol and drugs, drunkards. Revilers, that's people who speak abusively. Swindlers, con artists. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And as you read this list, pray for our growing evangelistic impact on a lost and dying world. God, give us wisdom how we reach this list of people. But here's the hope. Say, but. So none of these will get in the kingdom of God. But, he says then, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. As a hospital for broken people, so, some of you were addicted to alcohol and drugs, but you were set free. Some of you were uh, imprisoned to a homosexual lifestyle. You were set free. Some of you were in bondage to adultery and lust. Some of you were addicted to greed and what, but, but you were washed and sanctified and justified, and now you are living a life that is victorious, maybe still fighting the temptation, but in the context of a loving Christian community, we are loving each other together to wholeness and to obedience and to eternal life, and we are welcoming all who will to come and join us in that journey, the apostle says. And so pray with us, and one last thing to pray for is part of my job specifically, and this I close with this verse, this passage out of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes this, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. We'll not always get it right. Be patient with us. Let's grow together. Let's talk together. Let's, re let's tweak things. Let's, re let's refine things together. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Being united. You've heard me say countless times, Satan does not fear a big church. He fears a united church. And I will confess to you that like I said, back, man, when I started ministry in 1979, most of these issues were barely issues like they are now. Some of them, I don't even know that the words existed. The questions and conversations I've had, both with our staff, our board, and I'm sure that you have about how do we do ministry in this changing, immoral world, we never had those in 1979. But the church is as relevant now as it was then, as it was in Christ's time, and we are still the hope of the world with Jesus Christ as our head. And last weekend, when I talk about Satan not fearing a big church, but a united church, in a moment we're going to just have some music to play and, and a time for prayer where you're at.
We celebrated 805 children sponsored. That blows my mind. I told our partner, Kevin, in Africa, he's like, I just can't believe it, that they're all sponsored. And then we, we gave a million dollars to Victory Project to launch on the west side of Dayton. How many churches can do that? I'm so thrilled at that. And yet, one of my afterthoughts, because of what I do, I thought to myself, man, we just made hell really mad. And I'm sure that if there's a staff meeting in hell, it's like we have got to divide that place. Because if they stay united in the Spirit, they have only begun. And so let's forbear with each other. Let's be patient with each other. Let's grow together. Let's sharpen together. And let's realize that, you know, we need your prayer as your leaders and input to grow and do and be all that God wants us to do and be. To be a place of safety and also a place of hope to always be grounded in biblical truth and to be a place where people who reach the end of the line of where sin can take them and they say to themselves, I need something. Is there anywhere I can turn? Is there any hope? Is there any healing for my soul? Before they turn to an evil world that will just drive them deeper into it, they can feel welcome to come here and like that young lady, they will say, when I went to CLC, they didn't condone my sin. In fact, they gave me truth, but they loved me into being a Christian. Would you pray with me? And after I lead in a prayer, I'll ask you just to remain for a few moments and just in your own heart, prayerfully react to what you've heard. Pray for me. Pray for our board, for our staff, our leadership, our lay leaders, that God will guide us and give us wisdom to do ministry more effectively than ever before. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that it's not your will for anyone to perish because I would be damned. But you so loved me that you gave your only begotten son. You so loved every person in this place and in our community, in our world, that you gave your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Lord, the days are evil. It feels like something has been unleashed in spiritual dimensions and realities trying to ravage the church, trying to destroy biblical beliefs, trying to, to destroy and devastate families and relationships and individuals. We cry out to you, God, for wisdom. Guide us how to be your church. We cry out to you, God, for protection, Protect us, deliver us from evil, as is said in the Lord's Prayer. We cry out for guidance that you will show us how to be, let our light shine and how to be the salt of the earth that lost people all across this community will say, I went to Christian Life Center and I met Jesus and they loved me into a relationship with him. I pray for every child and young person who's part of our church, God. Watch over them, keep them, guide them, direct them. Lord, help them become all they can be in Christ. And I pray for each one of us, God, that you would use us to impact lost people that at this moment in our community are looking for Jesus. In your name we pray.